0: He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud?
1: Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Here with the rest of the Munsons, want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in the worlds. First things first, we will not have Warren tonight. He was not able to join us, so we will do our best without him, which means we'll kind of divvy out his parts to some others on the podcast. We'll go over to Rigby. What's going on, man?
2: Nothing, man. Just uh this is prime award season. Watched the Golden Globes last night. It was painfully awkward
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> we need to end this pandemic now just to get all this virtual stuff over with because some of that was really hard to watch including jason sudeikis i don't know what that was but Ooh. two minutes of my life that i'll never get
4: back correct i've decided i may want to earn a little extra income here because i think i think there's gonna be some money to be made coming out of it i got it narrowed down to two things one i'm hearing there's a lot of money to be made on only fans not really sure how people are making money that's where we get
3: a lot of our movie reviews
4: <laughs> or uh, you know somehow i want to try to be a pirate but um oh i don't swim well so i'm not sure that that's for me either i've narrowed it down to those two so if anybody has any suggestions on uh, how to earn some extra income as a pirate or as a uh only fans i don't know what it means but i hear there's money to be made so <laughs> you'll never know until you try
1: <laughs> you know Craig you could live your dream and dress up as a pirate on your OnlyFans you know God.
3: James I just ask that when I inevitably have a thriving OnlyFans with my wife that you guys just you know mind your business and keep it to yourself <laughs> I got to pay
4: bills,
3: <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh my <God. laughs>
1: I'm excited to be here and to welcome our next guest, Munson. We've got Cam Sully of the Jacked Up oh, Review yeah, Show podcast. Yeah. Hey, uh, Cam. Thanks
4: for joining us, buddy.
0: Anytime. Uh, Love listening to your show. Uh, on our show, we do a lot of the same just review cult franchises, outrageous actors, and even food. <laughs> I have constantly been mistaken, believe it or not, for Screech. So
1: R.I.P. man, R.I.P. Right, he passed away what a couple weeks ago, didn't he?
0: Which just sucks because I'm more of a Zach Morris dude. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez,
1: that little throwback for our listeners there, but
0: <laughs> good actor.
1: Camp's just a film buff and former indie filmmaker who organizes his commentators to rank everything from cult films and shows to video games, music, and food. And we're glad to have him. Since he comes from that cult film background, he's going to have lots of opinions oh, yeah. and thoughts on Keith David for sure. <laughs> Birthdays, March 11th. Warren would normally handle this part, but he's not here, so I'm going to step in. Our first actor that we're going to cover is Johnny Knoxville from Jackass, Jackass 2, Jackass 3, and Action Point. <laughs> <laughs> How old is Johnny Knoxville?
4: Um, well, first of all, that can't be his worst movie. Johnny Knoxville's so got to have a worse movie than Action Point, no? I didn't create this. This
3: was Warren. <laughs> the Jackass movies are classics. He's got to be fifty-five, right? Yeah, I was. I'll say fifty-two, Kyle. Okay, I'm going higher. I'm going fifty-nine. Give me sixty-two. Oh my god!
1: <laughs> all of you shot over. He is fifty. Oh you shit!
3: You know what it is? Is uh, he should be dead by now. So he's on yes. borrowed time.
4: <laughs> right. That's true. I looked up uh, Johnny Knoxville, and apparently I'm looking at a picture from Bad Grandpa. That's where I came up with my, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> it's my bad. Good one.
1: Second up, Terrence Howard. He's an Iron Man, Prisoners, Big Mama's House, and Crash,
3: which we will
4: Annual. talk about.
1: What about Glitter? Warren, strategically placed crashes is working. <laughs> <a
3: movie, so.
2: laughs> oh, wow. 42. Let's go 52 again
4: on him. Uh, 55. Give me 50.
1: Rigby on the dot with 52 coming in clutch. Yes. Happy birthday, everybody else. March 11th, those were the birthdays for today. So we had five actors that we threw onto the wheel. One of those happened to be one of our birthday boys today, Terrence Howard. We had Elizabeth Shue, Dan Fogler, Paul Walter Hauser, and Keith David. And as we know by now, the wheel has selected Keith David. So before we talk about Keith in his career. I want to mention he is the closest thing to Danny Trejo that we've encountered yet (laughs) from an actor perspective. Mm -hmm. We constantly talked about on our Trejo Halloween episode that he was the busiest man in Hollywood. And I'm convinced after the the last couple weeks of prep that Keith David is the second busiest guy in Hollywood. Yeah. Cause he's got 314 credits on his IMDb. 145 of those are films 18 TV movies, 36 recurring characters on TV, 58 brief TV appearances, 26 video games, 23 shorts, over five-plus documentaries. He's got theater work. He's a prominent voice actor. He averages 12 products projects per year over his career, but his busiest year is in 2015, where he did 19 different projects.
2: Wow. My man's working. Get yourself an agent like that, man. Holy cow.
1: We'll get into it. There's a lot to cover. As we mention a lot of times, before we get into these actors, when we talk about actors that have 70 credits, we say we're not going to hit everything. So when we're talking Keith David, who has 300 plus credits, we're not going to hit everything. We're going to hit the highs, the lows, the weird stuff in between. If you're listening and you're wondering if we're going to cover this random movie from 1991, maybe, maybe we will. (laughs) Listen
4: and find out.
1: Exactly. You could tweet us after. Before we dig in, though, we'll start with a little actor trivia and see if James can stump us.
3: Well, Cam, I'll give you a little bit of a heads up. What we do here is two truths and a lie. And two of these facts you're going to hear are true about Keith David's life. And one of them is actually going to be false and is going to be a fact about one of the many actors in the Fast and the Furious franchise. It is your job to figure out not which actor in the Fast and the Furious franchise, although the guys seem to be doing that. Just guess which one is <laughs> not about Keith. Probably. <laughs> so, fact number one. He has expressed his desire to play a villain in the James Bond movies, following in his grandfather's footsteps, who appeared as a Bond villain in You Only Live Twice. Fact number two, he's the first actor to provide his voice for two films nominated for Academy Awards for Best Feature. Fact number three, he once saved a fellow actor's life during filming.
0: Oh, it's gotta be number three. Because, I mean,
3: number one, you rolled it out with, I'm going to assume that,
0: So I'm judging here. I'm going to assume that Keith David's great grandfather is also black. And then with number two he's a voice actor. So it's got to be that. So, yeah, number three, number
4: three, putting money in the pot. Number three. I think one is the lie.
0: I'm going to go with
1: number one as well. I'm going to follow the Rigby.
4: I am going to stick with number one because I thought I read this trivia. I think it's actually uh, the lies about co-star of the thing, Kurt Russell, who plays nobody in Furious 7. That's who I think number one is about.
1: When you say nobody, do you mean actually nobody? Or a character <laughs> I mean, named his nobody? character
4: is Mr. Nobody.
1: Okay, all right, just making sure. I had no idea that
3: that was actually a
1: thing.
4: Yeah. So, spoiler alert,
3: it's not Kurt Russell. Um, <laughs> Damn okay. it. But, but no one chose fact number two. Uh, so that is, in fact, true. He is the first actor to provide his voice for two films nominated for Academy Awards for yeah. the Best Animated Feature. He played the role of the cat in Coraline. And, of course, he was the uh, main villain in The Princess and the Frog. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fact number three is actually true. He once saved a fellow actor's life during filming. Oh, that's right, Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen, yes. During the filming of Platoon, Charlie Sheen actually credits Keith David with saving his life. While shooting, they were in uh, an open-door helicopter. The helicopter banked hard, and Sheen was thrown uh, towards the open door and was not strapped in. Oh, shit. Keith David grabbed him, pulled him back in, and caught him before he fell out. Would have uh, would have been the end of the Sheen franchise back then. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't know uh, that. And uh, fact number one is, in fact, not true. He did not express his desire to play a villain in the John- <laughs> James Bond films uh, following his grandfather's footsteps, because that is, in fact, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's grandfather who played wow. a Bond villain in You Only Live Twice. Jesus. No shit. Mm-hmm.
1: Good work, James, as always. Next up, we'll talk about a little box office history. Case, what do we got?
4: All right. Well, we have identified the most similar box office profile on our resume, and that's Danny Trejo. They're very similar in this area as well. And Trejo rates a little bit higher in fan ranking just because I think he's got a little bit more of a following in some of the cult favorite films. But on the other hand, Keith David ranks higher in box office you know, for Keith David's losses, he's got movies like Armageddon, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, something about Mary, Night School. I mean, he's making up any loss that that he would have on some of those massive movies. His box office is pretty balanced um, and and nothing really stands out aside from the volume of work that he's done.
1: How does he rank comparatively to the others in like fan ranking and areas like that?
4: Compared to other actors in his IMDB rating, he's tw- he's twentieth uh, at time of recording. Critic ranking, he's 24th. Fan ranking, he's 23rd. And then box office, he's 12th. He ranks average at 22 out of our 31. So on the latter end of the 31 we've covered. And Danny Trejo ranks 24th. So they're right in the same ballpark. Mm -hmm. It's very similar. Cool. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, man.
1: Let's dig in. First and foremost, it's important to note with Keith David. He's wanted to be an actor since he was about 2 years old. He said he saw the movie Topper and he wanted to be a bank manager and he, he mentions many times in a lot of his interviews that he's living his dream. That's just what he always wanted to do was to be a performer and he's doing it. So, good for him for kind of figuring that out early on. Uh, grew up in Harlem in Queens. His first ever part was in 5th grade. He was uh, the cowardly lion in a stage production of Wizard of Oz which is an interesting way to start your your stage career and acting career.
4: Did he win any awards? <laughs> I don't think so.
1: <laughs> None notable that I could find. Uh, he attended New York's High School of Performing Arts and then eventually made his way to Juilliard. That DeVry school we talked about uh, during the William Hurt episode. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of it. Early in his career, so after Juilliard, he spent some time as a speech teacher. He, his class that he taught was good American speech for the theater. And he toured with John Houseman's The Acting Company from 80 to 81. Uh, he was in productions such as Waiting for Godot in A mid- Midsummer Night's Dream. But he didn't do his first film work until 79, when he was in Disco Godfather as a club patron. So just a cameo, you know, background actor type of role. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is one of Rudy Ray Moore's exploitation
4: films. What's interesting is he's actually got a scene where he introduces the Disco Godfather. He's got a line. He's the only person on camera. And he's uncredited. And we're going to fast forward a little while to Roadhouse, and he does virtually nothing in there. Right. He's listed fifth on the credits at the beginning of the movie. So it's very weird.
1: (laughs) It is interesting. Yeah. So after that and another small role in Coriolanus, he gets his first major role in The Thing, 1982. And we're calling this his first feature film. And James is going to have it.
3: So quick synopsis, it's a group of American research scientists are at a base in like Antarctica, there's no one else around them, when all of a sudden the opening scene is a helicopter, good four minutes of a helicopter chasing down one dog and trying to kill it. And the guys in the base are like, what the hell is that helicopter that we don't know where it came from trying to murder that dog for? They end up taking the dog in. And from then on, it is a paranoia piece about the thing which can essentially shape shift and kill whoever it wants, however it wants, and you can't tell who it is. So this movie turns into this brilliant paranoia piece where everyone is a suspect, uh, no one is trusted, and I was blown away. Keith David is one of the main characters in it, and it's him and Kurt Russell, I would say, are, and then uh, what's his name? Wilford Brimley. Wilford Brimley. He's, yep. Yeah, Wilford yep. Brimley are the uh, main characters. Have done. And- <laughs> yes it's, it's it's a shame that he is so well known for his diabetes commercial because apparently he was a badass actor prior to that. Oh
4: he very really uh, much was.
3: Yeah. This movie is uh what are we looking at here? Almost 40 years old mm-hmm. now. 30, yeah. late yeah. 30 and the special effects in this movie hold up. They are gut-wrenching, they are mind-blowing, they're absolutely awesome. I love practical effects because it's clear they stand the test of time and this movie has nothing but that. And it does what any good horror or sci-fi movie should do, where it thrusts you into the character's world and immediately makes you decide how you would react. What do you think is the best decision? I was so blown away by this movie. I immediately wanted to talk to you all about it in the group chat, uh, but I figured I'd save that for this podcast conversation because it made me reconsider my Mount Rushmore of horror movies. I thought it was that good. Wow. Damn.
2: It's awesome. I would say this is up there for for me – with alien is probably like the best science fiction movies, definitely like the best science fiction movies that involve aliens. And I think we we say a lot on this podcast, but I think for someone like Keith David to get, to have this strong a role where he is like kind of a badass in the movie and to hold his own with Kurt Russell and Wilford Brimley, like you mentioned, James, I think that's just a huge, it's a huge opportunity for him. And he, he crushed it. I mean, the, the, the final scene where, where he and Kurt Russell are together. It's ambiguous. You could spoil it. It's 40 years old. Yeah, I mean, basically, they know that they're going to freeze to death and die, so they basically just share a bottle of scotch together. <laughs> it fades to black before they actually die, but it's it's a really powerful scene, and, and you know the fact that he's one of the two main people that survived the thing, fighting off the thing, uh, is no surprise. He's great in the movie, and it's a fantastic film.
4: Tarantino pointed out that this is one of the movies that inspired a lot of his career because of the paranoia theme that james talked about i thought that was wild when i was researching this episode to learn that fact it's pretty cool
1: i will read to you guys what warren sent over to me if he was going to do the actual review a few little nuggets in here that you'll find he says the movie got shredded when it came out because it was too over the top gross and wasn't deep enough in character development he says anyone looking for character development in a movie like this is a moron And you could 100% see him saying that.
3: Fully agree.
4: (laughs) Yes.
1: He said the graphics and gore in the movie hold up. He was impressed with the graphics and robotics. And he said that Childs character. He said, Keith plays Mackay Pfeiffer. I mean Childs, which I think is hilarious. (laughs) He sent photos of Mackay Pfeiffer.
3: Yeah, they do look a lot alike.
1: But he's right. Childs is a really important character to the movie. And while he doesn't have a ton of screen time, early on in Keith David's career like this, he portrays that violent and assertive character really well. His voice and demeanor, you can start to see why it turns into a whole different world and a whole different career. But he does a pretty good job uh, playing alongside Kurt Russell, who is a stud.
3: And he he was great in it. You're right. He's a commanding presence. He's the character that's like, hey, I'm not buying into this sci-fi bullshit. Like, God, miss me with it before he actually sees it in person. This is
1: number three IMDb credit. If you go to his IMDb page, The Thing. We love when someone's first film is right, like up in their upper echelon. It reminds me of I'm when we talked about.
3: Debut. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm I'm pissed. It took me this long to watch this movie.
1: I saw it a number of years back with my grandpa, but I remember really enjoying it. So it's a great start. It's a fantastic yeah, start it for him. So at 82. What's interesting, right? He, it was John Carpenter movie, correct? Correct, me mm-hmm. if I'm wrong yeah, on me. that. But he doesn't really do much work over the next three or four years. He, the one thing he does. Primarily, he's he's on nine episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He was filming in Pittsburgh, and someone reached out to him and recruited him to come play some different roles. So he plays Keith the Handyman, and obviously, Mr. Rogers is a, just a staple and absolute cultural icon of a show. And so that's good for him early in his career to get screen time with a different audience than who was watching The Thing. He didn't make his next, yeah, another prominent film de- debut until 1986 in Platoon, where he plays King. Oh, yeah.
0: I can't see that movie without him. I mean, you had Berenger, Defoe, even Francesco Quinn, and, you know, to see David basically being one of the many brothers in arms who's just basically welcoming the protagonist and very confident, yet hidden behind, you know, just angst and and fear.
3: Uh It it
0: just was a very interesting characterization, especially since he's got one of the best guns of the platoon. It doesn't matter. He just feels like he'll bite the bullet first (laughs) Mm -hmm.
3: yeah i thought keith david was great in that he when he finally gets told he's leaving like he's allowed to leave that is about the most honest reaction i've seen a character have right in a war movie where he's like oh thank god i'm getting the fuck out of here (laughs) (laughs) like he thought everyone was messing with him and i thought that was funny because you don't really see that in war movies right i love the scene where
2: um Where he's talking, where Charlie Sheen's character is talking about how he volunteered for the war, and Keith David's character is like, You volunteer for this shit? Like, he's stunned. (laughs) (laughs) You had a choice? What? (laughs) Yeah. He's like, You could have gone to college. You came to, you chose to come here in the fucking jungle. Great.
4: One one note I will make about Platoon is it was the first Hollywood movie to be written and directed by a veteran of the Vietnam War. So, to your point, James, that probably added to the, More realistic portrayal. That
3: makes sense.
1: This kind of marks as after Platoon. I mean, my man, like we said, is busy. Well, he gets busy over the next decade and a half. But the next role I mentioned is his role as Alfonso in Hot Pursuit. Not because the movie is great or some huge movie. It had John Cusack. (laughs) But because it's a very unique role that he played. You'll note it, as we talk about Keith David, he plays an authority figure or someone who has authority in a lot of his characters. Mm-hmm. Whereas Alfonso is just a Rastafarian stoner, and he's done a few of these over <laughs> his career. And so I said it's the first of several weed-related roles for Keith David. But as we've talked about, and we'll mention here, he did an interview where someone asked, "Like, do you prefer voiceover roles or do you prefer live-action roles?" And he says, "I prefer work. Operative, there to <laughs> work. trying to get paid." <laughs> <Great answer. laughs> Yes. Right. <laughs> which, which is very Danny Trejo, right? Yep, yeah, yeah.
3: I'm trying to pay off these Juilliard student loans. But... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I saw a different interview where he was talking about he went on vacation with his family to the Caribbean somewhere, and he's like, by th- day three, I was restless. Like, the, the guy just has to work. That's just how he is, it's in his blood. So that's 87. And then in 88, another badass movie, he plays Frank in They Live.
3: Put on the fucking glasses! <laughs> they Live, again, John Carpenter, apparently I just owe this dude an apology. Again, I thought this movie was going to be stupid, so I never watched it, despite everyone telling me I should watch it. And while I don't put it up there as like one of my favorites of all time, like the thing now is, They Live is like, hilariously outrageous with unbelievable one-line dialogue. But the real like star of this to me was like how the stupid dialogue and funny action scenes are like layered in political and social commentary. That is like deep social commentary. I did not expect it. Yeah. I expected nothing but action scenes with the lines of uh, I came here to uh kick ass and chew bubblegum and I'm all out of bubblegum. Yeah. And then all of a sudden <laughs> I get like a deep cover of like American consumerism and materialism and like Reaganomics. is like, what the hell is going on here? This is the fight club of the 80s. Yeah. I thought
1: that line came from Duke Nukem.
3: (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because I never
1: seen they live and now I'm like, all right, I figured out the origin. My bad. Duke Nukem's not that cool.
2: (laughs) There's a lot of cultural stuff. Like the the uh Obey clothing company is based off this movie. I really like this movie. It's it's funny, it's bizarre, it's uh, it's a great sort of, I mean, we talk about the, the, um, the fight, the, scene. The fight scene. That's probably one of the more memorable, you know, f- mm-hmm. how long is it? Did anybody get a clock on that?
0: five minutes. Yeah. I think it's yeah. a full five <laughs> At minutes. Least five or seven. Yeah. <laughs> it
2: feels like 20 though. It's like, holy shit. These guys are still fucking fighting, throwing each other into uh, the dumpsters onto the street. And I, it's, it's got a very Carpenter-esque ending to it too. Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of similar to Escape from New York, just where, the the protagonist just basically says fuck it like i'm gonna do what i want (laughs) it's a good movie and and keith david is second build in this thing for sure
1: he's great in that movie he's definitely more of an actor than rowdy pipe oh of course for sure rowdy's just there to be a badass and be angry the whole movie whereas keith keith actually has some skill and talent there
2: he's there to look good and keith david's there to kind of even him out i think
1: Over the next couple years, I'm going to mention a few movies quickly. So he's in Bird as Buster Franklin. He's in Stars and Bars as Eugene. He's in Always as Powerhouse. And he's also in Roadhouse in a very minor (laughs) role as Ernie.
4: Ernie Bass. Ernie. Whooping some ass. Ernie Bass whooping some ass is very funny. funny, But the the only line he has in there is uh, he he tells Dalton that they're low on whiskey. (laughs) Moving the plot forward. Yet he's fifth build, which is crazy.
0: I think he had joined Sag definitely by that point, so but they cut out most of his scenes, I guess. So (laughs) damn you, Joel Silver.
1: (laughs) Well, nineteen ninety he makes his first appearance with Steven Seagal and marked for death as Max.
0: Take it to the bank.
1: Old Steven. (laughs) <laughs> one of a couple. I think, you know, he's I think he's in a few movies with Seagull, but I believe that's his first Unfortunately. One. yeah. yeah. <laughs> depending on your opinion. But I think most of us would say, yeah, yeah maybe not. Um, but also 90, <laughs> he's in another one of Craig's favorites. He's in Men at Work as Lewis.
4: Oh, yeah. He's perfect for this role, right? This might be that first time we see that, like, super... Like almost over the top, angry, authoritative figure mm-hmm. that, that we see multiple times in his career. I think they're having they're eating or something, and the guy grabs his fries he, and he grabs a meal in his hand. Hand. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and starts <laughs> screaming at him, will not you ever touch a man's fries?" It's, just, it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's scary as hell. But that this feels like it might be the start of that kind of typecast character that he gets put in after this. It's like his character from Platoon just transported to this movie, <laughs> podcast, <just like>
2: the, <laughs> the Vietnam vet. Yeah, this is a this is a hilarious movie. Um, Do I get to choke out Charlie? Sure, because <laughs> it's a dark comedy, right? Mm-hmm. Dark comedy. Yeah, it's it's yeah. very and it's very underrated. No, you know this is one that I've always liked. But, you know, I've I've never had friends that are into it, and Keith David is is hilarious in it too.
0: I've been due for a rewatch, but this was one of my sister's just absolute favorite comedies of the 90s. She would just watch it each time it was on Comedy Central, and I'd be like, What is this movie? <laughs> <It's a> yeah, it
3: <laughs> a crime movie
0: or is it a comedy movie? Is it a music drama? It's kind of everything. It's
1: the seed of Martin Sheen doing their thing. So,
0: you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Uh, oh,
4: man.
1: So, 92 will mention. Another stage production, he's in Jelly's Last Jam. He got a Tony nomination for his work there. So he's getting some more love for his oh. theater work. He's in Reality Bites in 94. He's in a crossover with Chris Tucker, a former Munson actor we've covered in Dead Presidents.
4: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: he plays Kirby. And I, from what I remember, it's kind of like a, a gangster role in that movie. I believe
3: he's kind, a of, kind of sinister. Yeah, And a war movie. Is he the Vietnam vet in that movie? I would have
0: to rewatch again, but I think it is kind of implied that he served, or at least served in World War II, so he's given all the other Vietnam vets some at- war advice. But he might as well have been, because they all have the war tactic, and that's what makes him good at all these Dog Day Afternoon-style mm. uh, heists. There's a great scene you can mute to where he just tells Chris Tucker to just shut the fuck up and count his money.
1: (laughs) Also 95, he's in Clockers as Andre the Giant. Oh, yeah. Plays a police officer in that one. That's a really cool role of his if you've seen that movie.
0: Yeah, it doesn't get enough love even by Spike fans. And he's a very threatening police officer. He's like, whoa. You want to just go around the corner and just die? Yeah, you, you, you can do that, but that's really fucking stupid. You better stay right yeah. here. Stay right
1: yeah, there. it's another one of those commanding roles that he, he puts <laughs> in, right, as an authority figure. The other side of 95, something that, as I was doing the research with Keith David, I had to remind myself. So when I was a kid, I watched a ton of Gargoyles. Yeah, yeah dude, same. I had it on VHS. I used to watch it. Like It was one of those things I had forgotten how much of a role it played in my childhood. And learning that he was the voice of the main character, I was like, Jesus Christ, Keith David has more pop culture impact than I thought he did, honestly. <laughs> Kyle,
3: I had the same realization.
1: His voice is so good in that role. And he t- he calls this one of his favorite roles that he's done in his career.
3: Same as you. I was legit blown away when I saw the the pop culture impact that Keith David had without me actually knowing. Like, we'll talk <laughs> yeah. about it, but, you know, the voice he's of got Goliath. A yeah, and Gargoyle, <laughs> as well as... Uh, the voice of Spawn. I loved Spawn when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And yep. I had no idea he was involved with it. And then when you rewatch it, it's unmistakable who it is because of how unique his voice is. You're like, well, yeah, of course, now. <laughs> yeah, and
1: he's got an even deeper register as Spawn, too. Like, he takes it an extra level in that one. And that's the other one he always mentions as one of his favorite roles. Those are the first two he mentions, Gargoyles and Spawn. Other than um, Dr. Facilier, Princess of the Frog, probably his two most iconic voice roles. Right. Also, ninety-five. He's in another Broadway production. He's in Seven Guitars. He plays Floyd Schoolboy Barton. He's in The Wiz in ninety-five, an Apollo revival alongside Whitney Houston and Cedric the Entertainer. And then he plays a very flamboyant gay theater director in Never Met Picasso in nineteen ninety-six. Another. Role that's a little bit different than a lot of the stuff you've seen from him over the years.
0: I did see it listed as like one of his better received indie films. So
1: think about it. I said a very flamboyant and gay theater director. Is that something you would have seen Keith David doing?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's not normally under his bag of tricks, but I, it, he looked like he was doing pretty decent with it.
0: It's pretty groundbreaking. Yeah.
1: 97, he's an executive target as Lamar. And I believe, Cam, you had written in that it, he's a Die Hard style baddie. Oh,
0: he absolutely is doing his best uh, Alan Rickman and Die Hard impression.
1: Also 97, he's in Flipping, plays Leo Richards, a gang leader. And my man goes balls to the wall in that when it's available. <laughs> it's available on YouTube if you want to check it out. Uh, yeah. shout out to Cam for digging that one up I did not know it was available 97's a busy year because he's also in probably one of the more popular films he was in smaller role is Apollo but he's in Hercules which I actually watched for the first time really yeah isn't that sad I'd never seen Hercules what a
0: shame he wasn't playing Hercules I mean yeah, I
1: guess it's fine there's not much to say about <laughs> his role I mean he only had he's only in like three or four scenes and it's very limited dialogue but we already talked about Spawn and then 98 Probably the first time I registered that this is Keith David, he's General Kimsey in Armageddon. Now
0: nah, saying some not-so-kind words about any miners going to space.
1: <laughs> if I remember his c- character correctly, he's the one who wants to... What? Th- he just doesn't jive with Bruce Willis. Uh, approach. <laughs> he wants, just wants to nuke people, if yeah, I remember he, correctly.
2: He thinks they're a bunch of country bumpkins, basically. They have no business being in space.
1: And he's not wrong. they are. He's not yeah, wrong. he
3: would be correct.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they
3: barely pull it off.
1: Hot take. Ben Affleck would probably agree.
3: There's probably some better yeah. approaches.
1: He's really the hero, the attempted hero of the movie, and then we decided to let a bunch of fucking drillers decide the, yeah. the fate of the universe. So, At some point, we had to talk about Armageddon, so we've done it. Maybe at some point we'll talk about a character or an actor who has a little bit of a bigger role in that movie. But we're going to transition to a comedy in 98, one of his Mm -hmm. most iconic roles. And there's something about Mary. He plays (laughs) Mary's dad.
3: I think it's more so the scene that he is in is what makes it an iconic role. Right. Because it's like Ben Stiller at his most. The scene that Keith David's in is the scene where Ben Stiller zips his balls over his penis. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He calls him Keith David to look at it because he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> they end up calling the ambulance, and like the whole town sees this monstrosity of a ball and dick zipped into a zipper. It's it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's a pretty funny scene.
1: What is the line that
3: Warren likes to quote? How how'd you get the beans above the Frank? <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, is it the Frank or the beans? And then yeah. they show it, and he goes, "Oh my god, how'd you get the beans above the Frank?" <laughs> <laughs>
1: So to kind of finish off the 90s, as, as we go into 2000, he makes a small appearance in Where the Heart Is, you know, where Natalie Portman has a child in a Walmart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he plays Big Tim, the drug dealer in Re- Requiem for a Dream. And I know James had some thoughts on this one, because I think
3: this is another first-time watch, right, James? This was easily the most depressing movie I've watched in a long time, <laughs> where it is brutal. And it, it you sh- they show the perspective of, like, four drug addicts and
2: uh.
3: how brutal their addiction to drugs are and the scene with Keith David is the worst of the entire movie mm. and, and I don't mean worst as in like it's bad I mean worse as it it's the most brutal and depressing to watch you know him having that voice and being able to play that bad guy villain but also authority figure works really well in these scenes because you only see him for a few minutes and you fucking hate him the whole time yep
1: his character's pretty sinister. Just the way he laughs mm-hmm. in there is so creepy. and Because you know his character knows like Jennifer Conley's hooked. Like she's hooked. Yes.
3: He plays a drug dealer, and he's a drug dealer who doesn't accept money for drugs, but you need to sleep with him to get drugs. And Jennifer Conley is one of the main four characters, and her and her boyfriend are completely out of money. And so they suggest, well, why don't you just go sleep with that guy and get us some drugs? And it's like at that point you're so like emotionally beaten down. You're like, or or don't you don't have to do that. Like you could just you, you just don't have to. And <laughs> nope, she does. And he is as creepy and terrifying as that type of person would be. And you see it from her perspective, dude. And it's just painful. It is so painful. Mm-hmm.
1: My man, killing it to start off the 2000s. Got to give him credit there. He makes a very small appearance in The Replacements. He's about three minutes into the movie. He plays Lindell, essentially talking about the strike that leads to Shane Falco becoming the hero that he is.
3: Is that Footsteps Falco? Yep.
1: Oh, footsteps Shane Footsteps Falco. lost a ton of money
3: on that guy in college.
1: (laughs) Great movie. Very small role, so maybe, again, maybe we'll talk about somebody who has a bigger role in the movie, and we can quote it even further. Um, But the last movie we'll mention before we hit Largest Critic Gap is his role as imam in Pitch Black, the first of two appearances as that character, mm-hmm. which he later shows up in The Chronicles of Riddick. I have not seen Pitch Black. I've seen The Chronicles of Riddick, which is not very good, but I've heard Pitch Black is better.
0: I think they're both good. Movie 1 he was definitely better used because, again, much like The Thing, he's knocking some sense into everybody saying, mm-hmm. hey, stop it. If you want, I'll kill you before the aliens do.
1: <laughs> that takes us to O2, to his largest critic app, and that is Shop, and Rigby's going to talk about it.
0: Pretty
2: famous movie. It spawned uh, a few sequels after the 2002 original, uh, with stars Keith David. Calvin, played by Ice Cube, is a barbershop owner who inherited from his father. He really s- wants to get out of it. He sees no really joy in his job, and he's basically. The movie is basically about him trying to find ways to to sell the barbershop and just kind of move on with his life. And eventually, he agrees to sell the barbershop to a loan shark who's played by keith david his name is lester who then wants to turn the barbershop into a strip club (laughs) it's a heavy role for uh for keith david which we we're used to him playing these authoritative you know these authoritarian figures but to see him as a bad guy was a was a was a nice surprise and he's really good in it he's intense he's kind of like not not to the sinister point that he was in reckon for a dream but there's a scene where uh he sells the barbershop to Keith David and he wants the barbershop back. So he goes back to Lester and says, Hey, I want my my shop back. And he says, I'll give it to you, but only if you give me double the money in half the time, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Basically the rest of the movie is about him trying to, to get his shot back and the the moral dilemma. And Keith David as a as a loan shark I thought was great. Mm-hmm. He's just creepy, you know. Like he just—he has that—he has that laugh. He's got like—he's yeah. got a, like a different hairdo in this movie. He's—he's he's just a—he's just a good, you know. He wears these like these like outlandish suits and just kind of has that. Yeah, he looks like a pimp, right? I—I I, I was trying to say that with with uh being subtle, but um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: maybe he looks like a pimp. You—you you Google it and you're like, yeah, he looks like a pimp. Yeah, that's a he pimp. Does. That's yeah, he's got—he's
2: got the suits. He's got the hat. He's got the—he's—he's he's got it all, and he's good. I mean, it's—it's. It's, He's obviously not around the sequels because he's the main bad guy in this, but he's, I thought for what they needed, you know, this was, this was a good role for him. And obviously it was, it was a successful movie too. So
1: that movie is a staple. I mean, a cultural staple just because of, you know, in the African-American community, the the barbershop is, is a huge community gathering space. And so that whole series Mm -hmm. of movies is a, a pretty important cultural moment. So, yeah good one for
3: him to be yeah, in that first one's funny mm-hmm. i'll gladly side on the side of who. which one has higher the critics or the audience whatever Critic. the higher one is i choose Critic. that one
0: it's definitely gotta be the highest out of all three movies but it's interesting how just for junior high everyone would just randomly quote this movie uh, you know like you say barbershop was already a cultural stable but like to have this movie kind of speak to that layer of that you know type mm-hmm. of business was pretty cool and, and i would always hear people quote the eve line who drank my apple juice <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I hadn't seen
2: it in probably about a year after it came out it was the first time I saw it. So I hadn't seen it in almost 20 years, and I, I was pleasantly surprised by how much I liked it.
1: So before our next review, which is, isn't is until 2016, we've got a 13-year gap and just kind of crushing through these, especially through the tw- 2000s there. He's in, he's in a lot of movies, but not necessarily ones we're going to talk Extensively about. But first, Agent Cody Banks. He plays the CIA director, first of a couple roles in the Agent Cody Banks universe. He's in head of state alongside Chris Rock. He's in, as we mentioned, the follow up in Chronicles of Riddick 2004. And then he is in the Best Picture winner, Crash, as Lieutenant Dixon.
3: Did it deserve to win Best Picture? No. Does it deserve all the hate that it's getting uh, and has gotten since then? No, I, it doesn't. So I agree. I think it could be both, right? Like, yeah, it wasn't the Best Picture that year. You know, movies get awarded that they don't deserve happens all the time. Does it deserve to be roasted constantly? I don't think so. Because when I watch it, like, yeah, there is some stuff that, you know, the the plot is almost nothingness and it kind of ties together, but it still has emotional impact on me. The invisible cloak scene made me cry the first time I saw it. And Keith David's character discussing matt dylan's character with ryan Philippi. the funniest way i've heard people discuss a bigot in a long time where <laughs> it's more of like yes. co-workers being like yeah how did this fucking racist guy make it 20 years in this office who knows but we got to figure it out i think people just hate on crash because it you know it won that award i think it's better than most people want to admit
1: All right, so to kind of round out the 2000s, he's in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. He's in ATL. He plays Pastor Watkins in a couple episodes of ER. He's in a a number of episodes in Seventh Heaven as a homeless man named Stanley Sunday. (laughs) He is in another Broadway musical, Hot Seat, in 06. I think the only crossover he has with Danny Trejo is in Delta farce in 2007, (laughs) which is wild. You would think with two men with huge filmographies that they would cross more than once. But I think this is legitimately the only time.
3: Yeah. I mean, not because they didn't try to work together. No I was about to say that.
1: <laughs> yeah. He plays the police chief in superhero movie. He makes the an appearance in a spoof film in '08. Another crossover with Regina Hall, and plays an assassin mentor role in the Fifth Commandment as Max Coolbreeze Templeton in '08.
0: Action classic.
1: There you go. Coraline plays the cat in '09. He's in Against the Dark, another movie with Steven Seagal.
0: He's only in for three seconds. So good on him. Cam, you're you're not a huge Seagal fan it sounds like. I can do some of his earlier stuff. I just this goes back to the Munson meter where it's like shitty person in real life and then just seeing how I even knew some stuntmen who he mistreated
3: you mean the person who no one who's worked with has ever liked was mean in, r- in real life that's sh- that's so shocking to me. I've never heard anyone say a positive thing about him.
0: How dare we find anything positive
3: about
1: Seagal? <laughs> I saw an article recently that listed out like the the 10 most difficult actors to work with and Seagal's like number 2 or 3.
0: i I've seen everyone in the dick he doesn't like big old piece of shit.
1: All right, so also in 09 we're going to run into what is Keith David's number one IMDb credit And that's his role as Dr. Facilier, the villain in The Princess and the Frog, which, just like Hercules, I had never seen before. And much like James, James is, like, watching all these 80s movies, right? I was watching Disney movies I had never seen before, and (laughs) he is fucking awesome as Dr. Facilier. Yeah, he's great. He sings a song that is probably the most badass song in the entire movie.
3: The one about his demon friends, right?
1: Yep, his friends on the other side. There you go. I believe what it's called. But, I mean, I love New Orleans, and so any Disney movie that, like, captures that New Orleans Nola spirit, like the Princess and the Frog does, his character really, you gotta have kind of a sadistic, evil character, and, and Keith is a perfect fit for that.
3: I thought it was cool how they did the, like, old-school style Disney animation. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't really know how else to explain it besides saying old-school, but I remember it even feeling old-school then when it came out, because it wasn't computer generated it looked like it was actually drawn and illustrated
1: yeah it's a, it's a cool little flick one, one that i'm glad i crossed off the list one that i'm not necessarily glad i crossed off my list is 2010 something like a business now, <laughs> now we'll talk about another movie in a little bit that james has a lot of opinions about uh oh, yeah. being a, an extremely racist movie i'm going to contend that this movie competes with it it has a very good cast in terms of names so kevin hart has been on the record to say he regrets being in this movie. So that's a way to start. Uh, but you've got Terry Tate office linebacker in there. You've got David Allen Greer. You've got Donnell Rawlings from Chappelle show fame, but oh, it is there. a terrible fucking movie. And it is racist to a point where it's uncomfortable to watch to, to I think you all saw the clip I sent as a counterpoint where, they walk into a room full of uh, African-American men and to distract them, Leslie Jones throws a bushel of bananas onto the bed. They all attack the bananas and then they escape the room. Jesus,
3: dude. Oh my <laughs> fucking so, That's unbelievable.
1: And the uh. Asian store owners, they make open jokes multiple times in the movie about them eating dogs. Wow. Like they make it for the one time and you're like, okay. And then later in the movie, they do it again. You're like, all right, guys. Let's gear it back a little bit here. We'll go to a, a funny role. He's in uh, a number of episodes in Community as Elroy Potashnik, and he's in some awesome, awesome, really funny sketches in that show.
3: I was not in the Cape. <laughs> he's a funny side character. Uh, he plays like the tech guy who doesn't really understand. He's like a boomer tech guy um, who doesn't yeah. really understand technology. <laughs> so like, he's like, oh, of course I can help, and he never helps. It's just pretty funny re- reoccurring bit.
1: The one cool thing I noticed about watching some of the episodes, literally one of the episodes is a mockumentary episode called Pillows and Blankets that pokes fun <laughs> at his voice acting work. So he's voice overing the episode uh, just like you would do a documentary, which I thought was pretty meta on their part. He makes uh, a number of appearances in Adventure Time between 2012 and 2017 as Baltus. He does some more theater work in 2013, in Joe Turner's Come and Gone at the Mark Taper Theater in L.A. That was uh, directed by Felicia Rashad, who obviously has done a lot of awesome stuff in her career. And I didn't know she directed plays, so that's cool. Mm-hmm. And finally, before Highest critic Score, he was in Big Time in Hollywood, Florida, a show uh, in 2015. A show that was produced by Ben Stiller as Agent Malloy, And that takes us to 2016 two highest critic score and james is striking gold he got to talk about the thing earlier and and i i believe he loves the nice guys
3: <laughs> yeah i absolutely love the nice guys and you are right i loved the thing and i was very impressed by they live this podcast has been a great mu- uh, movie viewing experience for me <laughs> uh so i appreciate the wheel deciding while i have these movies to review so the nice guys is written and directed by shane black who is the writer of Lethal Weapon, The Last Boy Scout, and Kiss Kiss, Bang Bang. You ever heard of those movies? Anyway. Yeah, uh,
1: <laughs> Are those foreign films, James? I've yeah, never, right. Exactly. So yeah.
3: you're talking about someone who's <laughs> very much in his element when it comes to action thrillers, buddy comedy action thrillers. And this movie's very much in the same vein as that. It is one of my favorite movies to suggest to people when they ask for movie recommendations because it didn't do very well at the box office, so a lot of people didn't see it. And most people confuse it with The Other Guys, starring Will Ferrell. Right? (laughs) I have like a 100% success rate with sharing this movie with people. So every person I say, hey, you should watch this movie. They come back to me and they go, you're right, that was a good movie. And I go, (laughs) I know, and that's why I always suggest it, because I want you to think I'm smart. The main characters are Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. And Ryan Gosling plays like a down on his luck, alcoholic, dipshit, private eye. And Russell Crowe is like a hired kind of collector, enforcer who beats people up for a living. And it's set in the 70s in L.A. Fate turns these two into like unlikely partners after a young woman mysteriously disappears. Keith David is a side character in this movie, and he plays a very similar role to what he's played in the past, where he is... A bad guy that the nice guys are running into, and he's the one who lets you know, like, no, this is what a real bad guy looks like. He's the one who can actually hold you accountable, and you know, he's in his natural element being this kind of intimidating henchman. But he's only a side character, and he isn't what sets this movie apart from other buddy comedies, but he does complement it well. This movie makes me laugh because it is a crucial reminder that you can do action comedies without like consistent, constantly hitting the audience over the head with punchlines. And instead, you can use wit and chemistry and charm to make the audience laugh. And it shows that like not everyone in these types of movies is a badass. Uh, Some of them could be like Gosling, who's a big fucking idiot. And that's okay. And that's what makes it so funny. I love how Gosling and Russell Crowe play off of each other. I think they're a perfect complement, and I was shocked by how funny Gosling is in this role, where he is a dipshit father who's like barely holding on by a thread, but still (laughs) keeps it together. There are some laugh-out-loud funny scenes in this movie. The first one that cracks me up is when Gosling is trying to break into that apartment and he punches a hole in the glass window to unlock the door and just severs a a big old cut across his wrist. (laughs) That's a lot of blood. Yeah. He looks down and goes, Oh, that's a lot of blood. And like it is gushing blood. And like it's before any of the sneaky detective work has even happened. And the next scene they cut to him in the hospital, barely alive. And like the ER is trying to revive him. And it catches you so off guard, dude. It sets, like, it sets a perfect tone for the movie, and I think it's hysterical.
1: You know exactly what you're going to get with that movie as soon as he tumbles backwards over the fucking wall and down the hill and right into a dead body. I was like, yep, this is the kind of movie we're going to have.
3: <laughs> dude, they, they go to that party and, they're, and Russell Crowe's being super sneaky and Gosling is just getting wasted and hitting on every chick he sees. <laughs> yes. It's so good, man. Couldn't recommend it enough. Yeah, I wish Keith
2: David had a bigger role in this. I mean, there's like the scene where they're in Russell Crowe's apartment, and then where Russell Crowe and Keith David see each other at the party, and, and yeah. they kind of chase each other. But yeah, that's, that's really bad, all I—that's really all I remember him being.
1: I wish it was more like Craig Robinson in Pineapple Express. Pineapple <laughs> Express. like, it, like yeah. I felt. Like I wish he was had more of a role later in the movie <laughs> from that standpoint because it was set up in a similar way of like one of the henchmen doing their thing.
3: So. Yeah, that's what. Like you watch that movie and you realize that Keith David is the non-comic relief of the movie. He's the, I'm an actual bad guy. You should treat me as a bad guy. And while there's funny things going on, like this guy's dangerous. When Russell (laughs) Crowe is going to collect from Ryan Gosling before they start working together and he goes to break his arm. And Ryan Gosling realizes what's gonna happen. And he's like, Are you a righty or a lefty? He's like, "Uh, I'm a righty. And he grabs his left arm. He's like, No, no. And he starts (laughs) shrieking like a girl. He's like, No, no. Do the other arm. I wanna tell the doctor you have a compound fracture. He's like, Oh, God, no. It's so fucking funny.
2: My favorite line of that movie is from that same scene where he walks in. He's like, We're gonna play a game. You're gonna shut the fuck up and tell me everything that I need to know or something like that. And he punches him and he goes, I love that game. Love that
1: game.
2: It's great. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, that's a nice guys That's highest critic score. And so, if you haven't seen it, get out there, check it out, and see if you uh, if you would align with the critics on that front. We're getting to the end of his film and recurring character roles. One of his more recent ones, so a role that started in 2016 through 2020, is on Oprah's produced show Greenleaf. He plays Bishop James Greenleaf. So another religious character he plays a wolf in sheep's clothing. And I watched a few episodes of this. It is some of his better dramatic work. He does a phenomenal job playing a very conflicted religious character, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of the infighting and drama of this family that comes with it. The first episode, you think he is a very noble character who does all the right things. And by the end of the first episode, you realize there's a lot more going on behind the scenes with this guy. <laughs> and it's a good show. It's a really good show. I'd highly recommend people check it out. He's it's like on the Netflix. head of
3: a megachurch, right?
1: Yep. Yep. That's that's the family business is them running a
0: mega church. Gotcha. I need to see it, but I was watching some of the last OG and I remember one of the kids is addicted to it. That's a running joke on the show. Like, oh, really? Just get out of my way. Green leaves on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good <laughs> show. <man>. show ever. <laughs> I think it's
1: three seasons and it's all on Netflix right now. So it's something if you're listening and that's you, just scope it out. Oh, yeah. Um, Perfect. And it's a, it. He was in a, a TV movie a long time ago with Oprah. So this is kind of his return to working with oh. Oprah. So this standpoint.
0: You get a Keith David, and you get a Keith David. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Two other roles before lowest critic score. He's in The Flash, the show. He's been on that for four years now, 2017 to 2020. Plays Solovar,
0: and was in Savage Dog. Savage Dog definitely has to be his lowest critic score. Sorry to contradict the critics, but. Yes, it's worse than the other one we're about to cover.
1: <laughs> I was about to say, you're going to cover it here in a second. So, you know, tee uh, t- 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 that one up. And then finally Night School, another working alongside Kevin Hart and one that I don't think has been received well, but also is probably not one that Kevin Hart regrets.
0: From what you described to the other Kevin Hart movie, it- it's definitely not going to offend anyone, but it's still a pretty fucking stupid movie. Where The best bits were in the trailer.
1: That's going to take us to his lowest critic score in 2018, mm-hmm. and that's... American dresser and if you are a first-time listener normally we have our guest choose uh, a review but we've recently transitioned to having our guest review my review and in this case it's lowest critic score oh yeah now normally we would be ha- play some caution for giving our guest lowest critic score <laughs> but we know cam is a cult fan film and so he's seen some really shitty movies and so
0: he's about that life my sister and i lived on mystery science theater so we just would just fun to just (laughs) (laughs) atrociousness
1: so cam's gonna tell us a little bit about american dresser and keith david's role in it
0: kyle's viewing of this he had to choose between this and russian roulette he chose this unfortunately um (laughs) but at least he's still alive with us I was going through a bunch of Tom Berenger movies just catching up. It's like, okay, sniper movies are just as badass as The Substitute, but all this other shit. Oh my god. Tommy, why are you doing this to us? What the fuck? And I just finally came across this forgettable one, and I just breezed through it. It's like, okay, good to know. Gina Gershon, Keith Davis still getting work, yada, yada. You know, biker movies get a bad rep because they either try and rip off Easy Rider, or they're just very trashy and got, you know, constant, you know, bar fights, assault, and Misogyny, but mm-hmm. i just had no story whatsoever, and I remember Kyle was going back and forth to me. He's like, like I accidentally spoiled the movie for him because halfway point, like it just takes a total nosedive and becomes a very hardcore crime drama with zero warning. And it was just so funny. Kyle and I are just texting back and forth, and he's like, I didn't get back. I didn't get to the crooked cops segment yet oh my god this segment's worse than the other part of the movie (laughs) (laughs) which is which is a low bar i don't think this is his worst movie though because basically i hate to say this but without keith and tom playing off each other this movie wouldn't even be remotely watchable there's so much other better indie stuff there's so much other b movie kind of stuff that knows it's not the best but it you know this isn't even it couldn't even bother to be like go the full moon route where it's just cheesy as fuck
1: yeah it's got a 24 meta score on imdb it's it's brutally low Keith david's second build so he's right alongside berenger and has a very prominent role and he's not bad in it it's the story so the the story is written and directed by carmine Caglioni. so he's the the third most important character he's basically the drifter that they pick up along the way Uh, who's like this mysterious guy who has no acting nope depth or emotional depth whatsoever nope. <laughs> and and l- listen guys he has his own character remember he wrote and directed it he has his own character basically doing nothing but sleeping with hot women along the way and he's supposed to be a mysterious yeah. guy and that's his entire like the story behind his character i'm like jesus can't we all just write our own movie and just have <laughs> ourselves banging all the hot girls like wh- I what's going to on here? character. right yeah uh- <laughs> there's some interesting Cameos like Bruce Dern plays uh, basically a homeless man. He's in basically one scene. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you got TV, you can fast forward to what you want, and you don't have to spend a fucking dime on this, let alone more than a minute. So, just <laughs> Kyle and I are it. Yeah.
1: Don't watch it. We did it for you, and no one should watch it. And everyone should move on in life. And but you should watch. Tales from the Hood 2, which is available on Netflix, (laughs) which he was in in 2018, and I know James has thoughts.
3: Tales from the Hood 2 deserves its own complete episode breakdown (laughs) podcast. Um, When you're discussing the greatest movies of all time, you know, it's Casablanca, Citizen Kane, The Godfather, and Tales from the Hood 2. Uh, That is my Mount Rushmore of movies. Yeah. Um, I stumbled across this just cause I typed in keep David into my search option on my TV and it's like, Hey, here's a bunch of movies. And then because I'm cheap, I was like, all right, well, which ones are free? <laughs> they were like, Hey, uh, this is on Netflix tales from the hood too and i'm like oh my god all right i could do this while i'm like you know doing chores around the house like i don't have to care he's on the cover it is very much in the similar vein of uh, movies that i do like like old school tales from the crypt the tv show i loved that growing up Absolutely. or yeah, yeah. Creepshow. show i was a big fan of the creep show movies growing up where it's like these kind of anthology uh, no it's like short stories that are told by a narrator where there's like a main movie going on but it's not that important as the short stories and keith david in tales from the hood 2 is essentially the crypt keeper where he's the one who's telling these stories that you get to watch play out but let me just give you some uh, some quick facts. <laughs> Keith David is the cryptkeeper of this movie, telling the stories. And he's recruited by someone uh, whose name is Dumbass Bitch. <laughs> and Dumbass Bitch <laughs> is a corrupt old white dude who plans on utilizing <laughs> David's tales from the hood to program a RoboCop-inspired Patriot Bot, is the name of it, Patriot Bot, which can track down the criminal element of society completely unprovoked. So from the jump, it is like, oh, this is a racist white guy. And then this kind of storytelling arc that they introduce is they're giving David's character the ability to tell these stories. The first of which ends up being the most racist and absurd story I've ever seen in a movie. (laughs) (laughs) I won't go into it, but it was one of those things where you're, it's like watching a car crash where like, You don't want to look, but you do. And you're like, oh, this is bad. I should look away. But you don't stop looking away. The first story hazes the viewers where it's like, hey, are you comfortable with this? The most racist, awful, scary story you've ever seen in your life. Because if you've made it through this, these next three are going to seem pretty tame. (laughs) Oh yeah. After the first skit is over, the next three are equally corny, but substantially less racist. And by the end of the movie, I actually hated the movie so much that I enjoyed it. It's terrible, but if you go into the mindset that it's gonna be terrible, it ends up being hysterically bad. (laughs) Yes. So the first one has like a huge cult following and everyone likes it. To the point where I was like, wow, I should watch that. It seems like very similar to Tales from the Crypt and you know, creep show. And then the second one, if you look at the reviews, everyone's like, This is the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. And they're not wrong, but that's what makes it funny, is you watch it and it by the end of it, they're having like they think it's deep, but it's not deep. It's not deep. It's just like uh, completely. What's the yeah. word I'm looking for? The, here? the
1: last one is about Emmett Till. Just yeah, Emmett's, it's like it's... A, the ghost
3: yeah. of Emmett Till haunting a haunting a black Republican.
0: It's like they took all the satirical elements of stuff like American Psycho, uh, Falling Down, and Get Out, and then they just said. Oh, but we don't actually understand any of the satire in that, but we're just gonna copy stuff we think is fucking funny from the boondocks or what some shit. And it's just like yep. you gotta think this out because people still get riled up because they don't you don't realize how fucking stupid you sound. <laughs> well, here's yeah. the
1: one redeeming value of the movie, and that is Keith David is actually pretty oh, fun yeah. in his character, and the way he commands the his screen presence is it's pretty fun. Like it keeps you moving yes. from oh, point yeah. A to point B. All right. Well, that'll take us to our last review and its largest audience gap, and it is the movie Love Jacked, twenty eighteen, and Case <laughs> has it.
4: My overall observation of this movie is that it's it's a rom com. I mean, it's yeah, it's a twenty eighteen Netflix rom com. If you think of any other rom com you've ever seen, this follows the exact the exact format. The uh, this will sum it up if you haven't seen it. I'm looking at the <laughs> Wikipedia page, and there's a sentence. And then there's a paragraph, and that's the end of the page. <laughs> it's a pretty uneventful movie, right? And, um, <laughs> you know, Keith David's in it. He's playing that hallmark role of his where he's that real dominant father figure. And, you know, his his daughter, for some reason, she's gorgeous, but somehow can't find anybody to marry. And so she <laughs> runs out of inspiration, and she goes, she goes to Africa, and she meets this guy. And they fall in love. They get engaged. Well, she tells her parents that she's getting married. And her dad's irate. And, and he won't accept it. Fast forward, she, her fiancé, she catches her fiancé cheating on her. So she, she comes back to California. But now she's ashamed and she can't tell her family that she's no longer married. She hatches this scheme with this guy who's a kind of a, a, a con man drifter. She convinces him to act like he's her... African, African fiancé. Yeah. Yep. I hate to do it, guys, but spoiler alert. Oh
3: Dude, I was going to watch this. Uh, <laughs> the two of them fall
4: in <laughs> love despite their ruse, and Keith David is a happy father-in-law. I say that in my review. It wasn't an awful movie.
1: It's a five. It's a, it's a five. Yeah. So it's right down the middle.
4: Yeah. If you had to watch it, you wouldn't hate it, but I'm also not going to seek it out. It, it, it was fine
1: you go for people like Mike Epps, who is yeah. supposed to be a guy <laughs> yes. who pretends to know a bunch about Africa and stuff like that you know it's
0: very funny can't wait for him to curse up a storm but oh that's right it's supposed some, to be Hallmark
1: there's some beautiful women in it and yeah, know, oh, it's, yeah it's that's
4: fine. that's exactly right Ken. it's a non christmas hallmark movie mm-hmm. and and that's that's what they went for and they and they nailed it and that's why i didn't hate it right it was exactly what it was trying to be the truth about love jack yeah That's it. (laughs) If I'm going based
3: off of Hallmark movie rom-coms, what you're saying is it's a big city guy or girl goes back to their small town and meets the small town guy or girl. (laughs) and They have different views on life. But let me tell you, that doesn't stop them from falling for one another.
4: The 10% you're off is she had to go to Africa. (laughs) Africa, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Instead of a small
3: town, it's a different different continent. That's exactly right.
1: It all crescendos because the guy she had met that she caught cheating on her comes back and just when this dude's trying to get out of the situation the guy that she picked up both of them are there both of them had their African accent and that's when she has to finally come clean about what's been going on yeah and so the the movie's all about her relationship with her father like that so really yeah. was pretty central to the movie
4: you said love Jacked was fangap yep audience gap i get 100 percent why it was an audience gap because people <laughs> that are seeking out that movie that's that's what they want to see and so it makes complete sense yeah that the critics didn't love it you're right and the the, the audience did because again that's what they're going for yep yeah the people who like
3: hallmark movies are never going to not like hallmark movies <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right.
1: That's yeah. exactly right. It's a formula. They got what they wanted, right? And yep. just put mm-hmm. it around this African context, which made it a little bit different. Uh, 2019, 2020, the last movie we'll mention is his role as Deputy Chief Spencer in 21 Bridges, one of Chadwick Boseman's final films. Rest in peace, my friend. Rest in peace. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to transition to some of his brief TV appearances. Like I mentioned earlier, there's about 58 of them, almost 60 of them over oh, his career. Yeah. We're not going to hit all of them. So we're going to hit about. Ten to twelve. So first and foremost, he's made a couple appearances in the world of Marvel. First, he was T'Challa in in the Fantastic Four series in 1994. So pre Chadwick, he was T'Challa. He also was Nick Fury in the Marvel series a couple years ago as well. So he's done a couple different characters in that world, at least in the cartoon side. He was in an episode of Law and Order in 01, CSI 2003. Teen Titans 04. He was in Psych in 2008.
0: (laughs) They had a running joke about how uh, uh, Dooley Hill's character Gus just was always... Encountering his mother, played by Felicia Rashad, <laughs> just uh, kept being played by various famous actors, and they just kept changing it up. First, it was <laughs> Ernie Hudson playing his dad, and then this second or third appearance, it's uh, Keith David as the new stepdad. <laughs> it's always one of those, uh, it's like, man, who won't she marry?
1: <laughs> exactly, and he's shown he can balance some of the comedic side of the different roles that he steps into too. So that's good to keep it rolling. He's in a Hawaii five Oh, 2011 robot chicken. He narrates the angry bird origin story. <laughs> I know we've talked about robot chicken a few times with other actors. We've covered For 2013. He's in touch a crossover with our, our Gugu-ra. our friend Gugu and Bata raw. Uh, he's in a fight scene in there. It was
0: another X-Files lost type show and it was a pretty good one. It, it's the second season. And Actually, I thought he was going to be here for a while, and he he gets a great fight scene here, yeah, with one of the main recurring assassins, but it's also a very tragic episode, but it's a must-see episode.
1: Small role in the show, but a pivotal one at that, and it sounds like he's leaning on some of his fighting skills from his old they-live days.
0: (laughs) Um, Not enough right not enough
1: that's my gripe with him not enough they live references in the rest of his career 2015 he's in an episode of Archer. He played lana's dad Lana! Lana, <laughs> which again you, you identify his name right away when you hear it he's in mr robot a crossover with rami malik in a link i sent over to you guys in our group chat he plays the voice of a fish
3: i love mr robot and i was like what the hell is he in the-? and then when you sent that link i was like he's the beta fish i completely forgot that scene right it's <laughs> just a fish he's begging to be put by the window so,
1: so i mean small roles right he's in bojack horseman as a lion musician in one episode really one scene he's in a couple episodes of rick and morty he's in a really funny role in Squon- spongebob squarepants i think it's hilarious this is our first time we've ever munch- mentioned spongebob in 31 <laughs> episodes right um, oh, wow but he plays gary's speaking collar, so gary obviously doesn't talk and they put us the collar <laughs> on David's voice, which I think yes. is cool.
3: of all the voices, it's the most like intimidating, authoritative, masculine voice. <laughs> it's So funny right. in, his,
1: in his personality, and his voice, in that particular wow. episode, is very much yeah. like they walk into Squidward's house, and he's like, "This is t- tacky as hell. Like, let's get the hell out of here." Job, <laughs> yeah. like you only know so Gary as
3: this like high squeaking animal. Yeah.
1: He's in an episode of Family Guy. He does an episode of NCIS New Orleans. And then most recently, he's in the uh, Golden Globe nominated Good Lord Bird with e- good old Ethan Hawke.
0: Love that show. Those latter two roles, yeah, you're definitely going to love. I mean, NCIS, you know, is finishing up this year and he got to play opposite as CCH Pounder's potential boyfriend interest. And in Good Lord Bird, I think he was also a pastor, if not mistaken. Sounds like Craig likes the show.
4: Yeah, he was only in the first episode. I don't, right. I don't remember exactly where he was at. It, it was a good role.
1: So there's many others, but those are the the main ones we'll hit on the TV side. But we'll switch to documentaries, which is w- where he has won the most awards and where mm-hmm. he his voice is probably most iconic. So before we get into the specific ones, over the years he's he's narrated documentaries for from everything from the WWE. Major League Baseball, History Channel, lots of PBS and Nova documentaries, including several with Ken Burns, like The War, which won him an Emmy for Outstanding VoiceOver Performance.
0: Indeed, it's a good one.
1: Unforgivable Blackness, The Rise and Fall of Jack Johnson got another enemy win.
4: That is a great, great sports documentary. Yep. And there's a Munson crossover. HBO is producing a show called Unruly, Ooh. starring Mahershala Ali. It's based on that documentary.
1: And then his most recent Emmy win was for uh, his narrating work for the Jackie Robinson documentary in 2016. Mm
4: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: He was also nominated for his work in jazz for Outstanding Nonfiction Series Informational. And that was from 2001. So he's done a lot. And when you listen to those, especially his Nova PBS docs, he can make anything sound incredibly intellectual. Yep. Yep. Also intimidating
2: and interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. These documentaries, the Ken Burns ones, are in my mind. They're the most. They're like the most beautiful documentaries ever made. I mean, you got the war. He did. He even did. A, he did the Ken Burns baseball. The last episode, the tenth inning, which was mm. yes, the sequel to the original nine, and <laughs> he was awesome in that too. I don't think you mentioned that one, Kyle.
0: Nope. For anyone who wants to see it, it's on MLB nonstop. I mean. <laughs> Keith David is, you
2: know, for as many movies as he's been in, I think in my eyes, this is what I know him best for is his voice in these, in these beautifully shot, beautifully done documentaries by Ken Burns. Right. You know, I think it, I read somewhere that it takes Ken Burns an average of like six years to make a movie. Damn. He keeps going back to Keith David to do him, I think says it all and shows that how powerful this guy really is. Mm-hmm. So I think that says a lot about him. Absolutely.
1: Like if you're in the world of, most I, co- I know we talked about James Earl Jones and then there's Morgan Freeman and then I think
0: there's Keith David. Yeah, Those are like, absolutely. That's like
1: the, the I don't know who the fourth one would be for the Mount Rushmore and they happen to all be African American males too.
0: Hey, get Andrew Devoff, off the Wishmaster.
1: There you go. There's your, there's your Mount <laughs> Rushmore right there. Just incredible work, man. It, it, and it's, it's soothing. I mean, he takes nature documentaries and just takes them to a whole new level. Yes. My man is talented. And I know John Rigby would love us talking about this because when we mentioned it last time, we said, who would you want to cover? And he said, Keith David, just because this is a performance art in itself outside <laughs> of the film work that we do. So, well, speaking of... Uh, some really cool stuff that is unique. Uh, we've had actors that have done some work in video games. I know we talked with yeah. Rami
2: Malek.
1: He did. What was the name of the game that you love, James, that Rami was
4: in? Oh, uh, What was that called? I don't know, but his line was, leave it to the pros, bros. Leave
3: it to the pros, bros. It's Until Dawn, and it's fantastic. And he's great so
1: we've had a few who have done some video game work, but nowhere even—not even, cl- even Treo—did this type of work. Wow,
0: he always played himself <laughs> in games.
1: Generally speaking, the 26 video games that he's played in, he's done three different Halos. He was the Arbiter in Halo Two, Three, and Five. He's in all three Mass Effects. Right. He's in Saints Row. He played himself in Saints Row Four, uh, and he fights Rowdy Roddy Piper in that video game, which yeah. is a nice throwback.
0: <laughs> I didn't play it, but I did see like the clips of it, people reviewing it, and it did look like so much work went into just the outrageous cameos, and it really did complement the game as opposed to just be a dumb Easter egg.
1: Mm-hmm. And, it plays a key role in Call of Duty: Modern Warfare Two, so a lot of folks our age played that game, and
0: if you did the campaign mode, you would know that. Keith David is like the key, like uh, general, just bossing around, secure the burger town, and it's just a, a, an awesome tribute to stuff like Red Dawn.
1: The last one I'll mention is he reprises his role as Spawn in Mortal Kombat 11. And some other pieces will hit. Uh, he he uh, narrated some of the UPS, What Can Brown Do For You commercials they used to what watch back Brown? in the day. What oh, can yeah. Brown do for you? He also did intros to some Ice Cube albums, which is a fun little nugget. He did oh, yeah. some U.S. Navy commercials.
0: America's Navy.
1: He did some uh, Anuya, I don't even know how to pronounce it, Anuyasha, Adult Swim commercials. And he also, for a while, was touring and doing Nat King Cole covers. He sings Nat King Cole songs. Huge oh, yeah. Nat King Cole fan.
0: Do you think he's a
3: underrated singer, given the few times you've seen him perform? I think so. Yeah, I think he's a pretty good singer. It's just you're so used to his voice that you right. expect <laughs> it to be drastically different. And it's not. It's very much like a, like a stage voice where it's singing, but it's singing where you can hear the dialogue, so it sounds like he's talking hmm
1: So that'll take us all the way to the end. We've hit a lot of his stuff. Cam, I want to give you some space. As our, our cult film expert, <laughs> are there a couple that we missed that you think are worth noting?
0: I went. I combed through it again. I, I, I definitely recommend The Last Outlaw. That's a movie you can watch mm-hmm. on HBO Max that he acts uh, opposite of Splatoon co-star John C. McGinley and Mickey Rourke in a very unrecognizable performance. Kyle was kind enough to recommend his episode of the young indiana jones chronicle once again big same factor here keith always picks a key episode to be on and it was one of those i had to watch the episode twice i'm like who what where what What was it oh he's briefly playing the trumpet in like in the very middle of the episode but and it, he had a very cool catchy name there so that's second underrated role off limits is a very underrated vietnam film he did shortly after platoon and also has william Defoe in it but this time, William is playing a military cop with Re- the late, great Gregory Hines. And instead of just being a shitty, you know, lethal weapon knockoff, it's a very well thought out, just very emotional, very pumped up, whodunit type movie. And one of many, several films that Defoe has done regarding, you know, Asian countries in apartheid. It's uh, Keith, uh, once again, just like in Platoon, just brings this rarity that you just don't see in these kinds of movies where he's like, all these motherfuckers on this base want us dead because you know it's a whodunit there's a traitor in their midst it it is a very tragic end for his kind of character but it's just very cool just seeing uh, him add some one of many talking heads in this fair in this puzzle piece of a movie i I do briefly recall i think hearing his voice when i was a kid before i even knew it on aladdin so but i just recall that show just totally rocking you know
1: we appreciate you i know that uh there's a lot to cover there. And so, you know, condensing it down in an episode is hard. So, I wanted to give you some space to at least mention a few more that we might not have hit. All right. Well, let's round it out. Rigby, what do you got for top performances?
2: All right, so I got a list on Ranker, which is community-based. So I think this is kind of fun. Title of it is "Keith David is the best actor you didn't realize you've seen and heard everywhere." <laughs> These are the top five most underrated Keith David roles. Ooh, Ooh. good one. They're movies and TV shows.
1: Underrated.
2: Underrated. Yeah, we haven't taken which that
1: angle before.
2: Some of them are. Some of them aren't surprising. I'll say that. I'm gonna say they live is underrated.
3: <laughs> yes, yes, that's it number is.
2: four. So we're gonna guess the top five. So good job, Craig. Well,
3: hi, Craig.
1: When did it come out?
2: Uh, 2020, July.
1: Oh, so this is recent. Nice.
2: Okay. <sighs> All right. The thing thing is five. Nice job, James. Just snuck in there. We need the top three now. And again, this this is TV and movies.
0: How about Greenleaf? Nope. Damn. What about his person of interest guest appearance? Nope. Damn it. Fuck those guys. <laughs> Tales from the hood. No. Range, <laughs> range 15. Surely someone saw that campy zombie movie. Nope. I'm going to say his Armageddon role was underrated. Nope. Dang it. So number
2: three is not a surprise. It's, it's there's something about Mary. Okay. But I want to do, I want to see if you guys can guess the top two. I'll give you a hint. Are they TV shows? They're both TV shows and they're both animated.
1: So Spawn and Gargoyles?
2: Nice job, Kyle gargoyles is number one the review says the growling bass of keith david's voice resonates with power that gives the character immediate authority underneath that though the actor gives goliath a sense of humanity he makes the head gargoyle tough but with, with the compassionate side all great leaders have so gargoyles is his number one underrated performance of his career according to ranker from july 2020
1: cool list if you ask me what i think is his best role ever it might be gargoyles oh yeah across the board
2: you were singing its praises earlier, that's for sure. James, too. Yeah, it was a good cartoon, man. I wish I would have watched cartoons when I was a kid, or else I could contribute to the conversation. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I can't, sorry. Instead, you watched like every
0: 80s movie ever made. Yeah, instead, I watched Edward Scissorhands on a loop. <laughs> At least for this podcast, you did not have to rewatch Hollywood Homicide, so that is
1: a <laughs> silver lining, you know?
0: Yep. All
1: right, so we're going to get into the months and meter. The way this works, if you're a first time listener, we rate every actor on a scale of zero to 100 based on a variety of factors. Those can include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, their range as an actor, awards footprint, any other talents they might have, their personal life, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and really anything else that matters to us. With that, we will start with James.
3: When we were first assigned Keith David, I immediately probably did what the most common Munson did and said, I don't know who that is. And then (laughs) (laughs) upon figuring out who he is and then realizing some of the movies I've seen him in, I realized that while he doesn't have the name recognition, I don't know if I've seen him actually be bad in anything. Um, He has this deep commanding voice and plus with his like – large smile and the gap in his teeth. He's like immediately identifiable on face and voice recognition. It's just a, you know, a common name makes it hard for me to immediately know who that was. Um, but when you see him you're like, "Oh, I know that guy. I think he's great. I just don't know his name." He's appeared in two best picture academy award winners. He's the first actor to provide his voice for two films nominated for academy awards for best animated uh, feature, three-time Emmy winner you can see that he's classically trained. Once I learned about that, I was like, well, yeah, that's pretty obvious now that you mention it. He comes across with this presence that's commanding in every role he's in. He often plays like a hot-tempered, irritable, but authoritative (laughs) character. And he's truly good in everything I've seen him in. He has the range. He can be the comedy, he could be the heavy, he could be the dramatic. The only knock I have on him is he's rarely a leading man, and he doesn't have the great Mm -hmm. name recognition. But as I mentioned, he's definitely the type of actor where you're like, oh, I know that guy, and I think he's great, and (laughs) I love that movie he's in. So for all that, I will give him an 80 on my scale.
1: On my end, I'm going to sing his praises. I'm going to liken it to this. Forget the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. He's only got 95 (laughs) credits. Honestly, I think it should be like the six degrees of Keith David because when you look at everything he's done in the industry from movies, television, documentaries – there's going to be two to three degrees until you reach every actor in the industry, (laughs) honestly. And I'd say that more so than Danny Trejo because a lot of Danny Trejo's stuff is in just like shit no one's ever heard of or no one will ever see because it's some high school kid who wanted him to be in his movie, which, you know, more power to him, but that's a little bit of a different impact. I love Keith David. The more I watched his stuff, the more he's not, I don't know if he's the most talented person we've covered. I would say that's Emma Thompson from my standpoint, but in terms of just the toolkit, like Keith David is extremely nice, super interesting guy to interview. I haven't seen a single moment, or read a single moment where he's an asshole. And I just love his his humble approach to just he's living his dream and he's working and he puts in his best. When I think about the other elements, yeah, he's not going to get a ton of points when it comes to awards or box office or maybe even project choice in some ways, but he knocks it out of the park for longevity, his other talents his comedic chops, his timing, his range. Um, and I like that he, I think he recognizes like, I don't need to be a leading man. I could just be a really good supporting actor in everything I do and have a fantastic career. And I got to respect that for what it is. And when it comes to pop culture impact, although you might not know his name, you know, his voice, that deep baritone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it from all sorts of roles. So I'm right with James. I'm landing right on the 80 mark as well.
3: Nice.
2: Rigby. Dude, that's crazy. I, I, I think that his – like I mentioned earlier, his voiceover work is what I will probably always know him best for um, because these documentaries are some of my favorite things to watch period, not just movies but just forms of art, kind of like my brother mentioned on the episode last week. Mm. I think there's something to be said about a guy like Ken Burns takes – he pours his heart and soul into these documentaries and he relies on Keith David to bring home the goods. I think that's an incredibly powerful thing to rely on him for. Obviously he's got an insanely long and ridiculous career. I mean, the guy's been in over 300 credited movies. I think that's <laughs> that's a huge that's a huge career, much like Trejo, and you got to respect someone who is always sort of on the grind and just like not willing to think anything is beneath them. I really do respect that for someone his age who's been in the game long enough who will take on roles no matter what, and that's there's just something to respect about that. There really is. Um they're not always Hits as we've mentioned, but I do like that he's he's willing to take on the work and like you said, Kyle, he's just he gets restless. I think after a few days, like he he loves the grind, and I really do respect that. So all that being said, I am going to give him an eighty-one. Oh,
1: Woo! so close. Cam, as our guest, what do he got?
0: Yeah, uh, you guys basically all summed it up and pointed me in the right direction. It is basically exactly that, where you you have this man who has not only just had a good work ethic both on and off screen. He has been so fortunate. He definitely has a good agent or, and you know, any of these movies that, you know, any of us were just looking at and just saying, Oh God, that was so terrible. You know, he, he's just figured it out. Is like, Hey, can I just do a brief appearance? You'll forget I'm even in it, but I'm not bad in it either. You know, and same thing with the good movies, you know, he's been so many where I had to just recall recollect and just say, okay, he's, he's not just the narrator. Uh, and, He's actually a key father fi- or cop figure in this movie. And uh, I think it's also just a testament because he he definitely networked and picked everyone's brain in the theater scene. And I think he just was able to open up everyone's eyes, much like similar actors like Lance Hendrickson, Tony Todd, Ernie Hudson, Michael Ironside. He's that kind of guy who's been in, you know, movies of many quality. But even though he's got a vast quantity, he also has a certain work ethic that you see come across, hitting on your voiceover roles. I think that's also just the beauty of it because he's been able to also just paint such a beautiful portrait with his voice, as well as do voiceovers of many kind, just like even Adam West. You know, it's like, am I saying it's straight face, but it's supposed to be fucking stupid? Uh, or I'm saying it's straight face and it's supposed to be serious? He can do either. And. <laughs> That is just a rare, very rare quality because you know we some of the other voice actors you guys have tackled, you know, either stuck with just serious or comedic, and I think
4: mm-hmm.
0: he was able to just somehow just uh, get everyone to give him a shot. You know, even maybe it was the Mister Rogers connection. I don't know, but he somehow was able to get tell everyone's like, "Hey, I am. I can play all kinds of roles and be a fool to not give me a chance." So yeah, I'll give him a solid seventy-five. He's one of those definitely the top ten B movie actors who. You know, along with Hendrickson and Tony Todd, you just any movie they're in, you're going to check out just because, you know,
4: they'll at least be great in it. Awesome. Craig. This was one of my favorites. When we were told this is we were studying, I was pretty excited. Right. (laughs) You guys have said it all right. But the only thing I will add that he is the the actor I would most want to sit down of anybody we've covered with, ask them directly about their work. I had a list of about 10 things and I cut it down. I'd love to ask him about Roadhouse. I'd love to ask him about The Thing. Right. And working with Kurt Russell, young Kurt Russell, I'd love to ask him about working with Steven Seagal. (laughs) I'd love to ask him about working with Vin Diesel, right? Like, who wouldn't love to hear those stories? Armageddon, I'd love to hear about that. And then I'd love to hear about They Live, Carpenter, and working with, with Roddy Roddy Piper. Right. We don't have anybody else that I that I'm sitting here dying to know like stories about those movies, and so I think that's for me. That's a big pop culture pop for him. You guys have nailed it all. I, I'm going to give him a 76.
1: So Warren gave me his score, and I will also give you his description.
4: <laughs> oh boy, here we go.
1: <laughs> you guys will understand why I'm why I'm doing this. So Warren says the guy's been in a ton of movies, has voice work that may be only second to Gary Cole and has been around for a long time. His name isn't really noticeable, but his voice and appearance are recognizable to many. I don't think there's really been growth in his acting, but he made the adjustment from action to comedy as he got older, but he was still able to stay relevant. He'll always be more of a comedic actor to me just because of the Dick Zipper scene from Something About Mary.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I respect that.
1: He's another case where quantity doesn't equate to quality on his projects, but he's enjoying life, so I'm happy for him. No real awards footprint, which is fine, just not the movie he's movies he's making. I give him a 60. He's not in a ton of bangers, but the one he is in, I really enjoy. So no, this normally this is when I would ask Warren, what score does this bring us? But since he's not here, I will let us know. And that brings Keith David to a 75.33, which puts him 12th in the actors we've covered which puts him just between Angelica Houston and Christina Applegate.
3: Very fair.
2: Very fair for Keith Maybe the fairest.
1: Normally, this is where we would ask Warren what he has coming. When you look at his IMDb, his IMDb is no different than the rest of his career. He has... Four completed projects that are going to pop soon. Six in post-production, one in pre-production, and one that's been announced.
3: Dude is a grinder,
1: man. Keith is going to be busy for the next couple years. uh, You're going to see him in some things. It may not be huge projects, but you'll see him in things. What I will tell you of the projects, the most recent one, I guess just announced, is called Where Are the Cocoa Puffs? Um, (laughs) He's rumored to play a character named Dr. McIntyre. Great name. And he's also, Rigby, you'll like to hear this, he is going to be in a documentary called The Gettysburg Address where he plays the voice of Frederick Douglass.
3: Yep, oh, I straight. saw
0: that. Nice. I'm surprised he hasn't voiced any of these cereal mascots. What would you think if he just <laughs> Count Chocula or yeah. Frankenberry?
3: <laughs> he's saving that for retirement. He's going to end up being uh, the yeah. captain from Captain Crunch and just call it a career. <laughs> this is Captain Crunch, be yeah, electrifying Serious. Yeah. Just cash that check <laughs> and retire.
1: I mean, he's done all the other commercials. Don't, don't say never. He'll, he'll right. pop in and do something.
0: <laughs> I
3: need to reboot
0: it. <laughs>
1: all right, so we've got five actors we're throwing under the wheel for episode 32. Those five are Jackie Chan, Melissa McCarthy, Idris Elba, Billy Bob Thornton, and Gabriel Byrne. What do we like? What do we dislike?
3: Oh, man. It's quite a bowling match. It's Idris Elba. I was going to say on a serious uh, level, I would love to cover Jackie Chan because I think he's like one of the greatest uh, action uh, movie heroes of all time. On a joking level, I love to cover Idris Elba because it gives us the uh, finally gives us the finally. opportunity to cover the Fast and the Furious franchise. <sighs> that's
1: true. But, Outside of the trivia segment, we'd finally get a chance to do it.
3: That's right. Would
0: not recommend Idris's resume because it's kind of like Danny Trejo, <laughs> quantity but very low quality. Oh, he's <laughs> a grinder a as well. Point. All right, fair enough. He's a grinder, a great actor on Luther and The Wire, but movies, oh
2: Yeah, I mean Billy little- Billy Bob too, just because it's Billy. Yeah, Bob, you know, like the guy's a he's a legend. He's an icon. Unite
0: with Armageddon.
1: Billy Bob's got some good stuff, and Billy Bob's got lots of controversy off screen that would be fun to talk about too. Yeah, he's a. <laughs> Uh, an interesting human to say the least, but we can talk <laughs> about, we could, we'd talk about bad Santa and a lot of movies, you know, some Deadly funny Ground movies like with that. Steven Seagal. <laughs> and it would be another episode where we talk about Armageddon back to
0: back. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: I think Warren would hate to cover Gabriel Byrne, but I think he's hundred percent on board with everybody else. Oh, really? Based, based on our group chat, so.
3: Not, not I don't see what's so, suspects. he just
2: doesn't want to watch Hereditary. What's his problem with Gabriel
3: Byrne? I don't get it. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I, Usual Suspects? Jeez. Yeah, Usual Suspects I is think great. that's the thing is, I think when you think of Gabriel Byrne, you can, I can name two roles, and then I'm just like, yeah, the dude from Usual Suspects, and then he gets set on fire in Hereditary, and I can't think of another role.
2: Miller's Crossing is one of the best movies ever.
3: I love that movie well, that's with a, Gabriel that's Byrne. That's quite a recommendation. All right, so that, that would get me excited.
1: I think it's less about Gabriel Byrne and more about the premier nature of the four other names. Yeah, I think that's really uh, totally. of it. Uh, okay. As we always mention, it's not us that decides, it's the wheel that decides. All right, brother. Cam, it was wonderful having you, man. Do you have any plugs for our audience for your podcast or anything else? Any other words of wisdom?
0: I don't have any wisdom, but I do. <laughs> it was great just seeing you guys just uh, rank uh, David and uh, finally be on here. You guys, again, it, you know how to rock it. Just do as much research as possible and just rank an actor's relevance versus their, you know, uh, recognizable uh, nature versus their career patterns. and Keep keep up the great work. It's just fantastic. And I hope more people listen to this. But yeah, Jacked Up Review Show is just on all the various podcast forms and we've been covering just various action sci-fi and horror and even dramatic uh, cult franchises tv and recently been getting into filmmakers where we would rank them you can even listen to our bruce campbell ep- episode from early on Ooh, <laughs> nice
1: oh he's the legend we like bruce we like bruce yeah.
0: We keep it to the top 10, and that's where it's really hard. It's like, okay, well, uh, these are going to be honorable mentions because the movie's not relevant, but his performance <laughs> is you worth know? Yep. Well,
1: we yeah. appreciate a guest who comes on, and the first thing they do before plugging their stuff is plugging our show to our listeners right. again. So Selfish we're on board much? with
0: that. <laughs> no, we love it. That's, un- that's unselfish.
4: Awesome having you, Cam. That was a blast. <laughs> Thanks, Cam.
0: Yep. Oh, thank you guys. And I, I really dug the Fast and this time. <laughs> it's
3: oh, always,
1: that's one of the gems we come for every single time. So um, <laughs> next podcast is going to hit on March 25th. Our guest is Alex Lamarado. He's a movie reviewer and he will be joining us. Does YouTube movie reviews and things like that. So we look forward to having him on to talk about our next actor of the five that we just discussed. As always, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from the Munson's?
4: Is it the Frank or the Beans? I, I, I
1: don't
3: know. It looks like I think it's a little bit of both. What's that bubble there? What do you
1: think? It's a... Well, how the hell did
3: you get the Beans above the Frank? I mean,
1: Munson's out.
0: All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?